RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to the show this morning, filling in for Paul Brennan, who's lost his voice. You've got my dulcet tones to uh, enjoy. And with me now is Farzan Irani, and we're going to talk about a couple of things that have come up um, lately. We're, we've got the mainstream media and the government softening us up, uh, it seems, Farzan, um, for a massive problem with mortgages. Yeah, definitely, Paul. Um, it seems, oh, sorry, can't uh, it seems, <laughs> it seems um, that is the way they like doing it, isn't it? Uh, they're softening us. They're putting headlines out there saying, oh, the market's soft, uh, housing prices are dropping, but nothing to worry about because the Reserve Bank is done with the mortgage uh, or the interest rate hike. So, But are they? I don't think so. No, don't neither think so. do I. It's the only tool they've got to keep inflation under control and is putting interest rates up. It's the only tool they've got. They, they don't have the courage, or the board of the Reserve Bank uh, doesn't have the courage to tell the government to, top, to stop spending. Well, that's it. That's it. Uh, I think when people have been following the first couple of weeks, they'll start realizing very quickly that this isn't about interest rates. It's about inflation. And the government spending uh, money into well, money or currency or fake numbers into the economy by taking on more debt. And I think now, and that is why we covered those in the first couple of weeks, is people will start quickly realizing that doesn't matter how much they keep increasing interest rates, inflation is a function of the government just creating more debt and spending money into the economy. Yeah, well, I mean, yesterday we had the headlines on stuff saying that government debt is now $5 billion above budget forecast as accounts continue to disappoint. You know, this, this is concerning from my perspective, not being a financial expert or anything like that, but if you are living in a household and you're spending far more than you're earning, eventually you're going to be upside down and someone's going to say no. And that usually is the banker that does that. But what do you do when the government is the banker? I mean, that $5 billion above budget forecast, let's put this into perspective. Remember everybody moaning uh, in, you know, back in 2017 when New Zealand first negotiated a $3 billion provincial growth fund? Well, the government debt spending above forecast is nearly double that. And that that's the, that's how, how huge it is, you know, it, where is this going to end, Farzan? Is it going to end well for New Zealand if we keep doing this? Oh, it's not just New Zealand, Cam. It's um, it's the, the, this problems in the whole world, right? And why is it suddenly now that you see articles about the government budget and five billion and this and that? Um, they're putting it in our subconscious that the government debt is getting too big, because then eventually, as I mentioned in the very first few chats, governments are going to default on their debt. It's getting to it's a natural transition where they can't service it anymore. And the one thing I haven't mentioned in the past is during Roman times as well, what um, kings used to do is they used to call it a debt jubilee. So they used to write off debt every once in a while anyways. And what's happened is also during World War, uh, prior to uh, World War One and World War Two, government debts were written off and they called it Bretton Woods. And I've mentioned there's going to be Bretton Woods too. So no, this is not sustainable, whether it's New Zealand or Australia or anyone else. Um, as you mentioned, something along the lines of $5 billion. Again, I've explained this. Where does the government get the money from? Nowhere. Debt. They just make it up. And 
they just make it up and they just take on more debt saying don't worry we'll tax our citizens and we'll, we'll pay you back but is that the end goal here you, do you think Fazan, that the government is softening us up for tax hikes because um, they, because if you if you don't have any income and your spending is above your income the only way you can get income as a government is take it off people exactly and and, and tax hike is something uh, where in the past they've done that. But what you've got to understand is if we're going down a socialist path, then they can't tax us anymore, right? And that's what I've explained in the last couple of chats is it, it is not, you can't win votes if you tell people you're going to tax them more. So the productive part of the economy is leaving. The productive New Zealanders are going offshore to Australia, as I mentioned, either because they're earning more or they're going off to tax havens uh, like the Middle East. So they can only tax you so much. Even talking about a simple example, even let's say if our tax rates are about 30% right now, which means you're working from January through to mid-April only oh. to pay the government, right? Yeah. Just if you put it in that context or that analogy, you're working four months a year to give it back to the government for what? It's a well, simple question. For what? What? What is it? What's the value that they're giving us? They're charging us 30% tax, the productive part of the economy, to hand out to people who are slightly unfortunate or yeah. less fortunate, but also so they can borrow more. But there's only so much you can tax people. So there's recent articles in America where about 64% of Californians are in the process of leaving California as a state because there's too much crime. And there's too much tax. So people eventually start leaving. Well, that's what happens, isn't it? Because capital and people are mobile. And exactly. if if you start taxing people uh, too much, and we could go back to the days of Muldoon when it was 66 cents in the dollar, you know, the top, the top tax rate. Capital wasn't flowing into New Zealand. It was flowing out if you could get it out. And, you know, Margaret Thatcher made a famous speech in Parliament. She said the problem with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money to spend. Yes, very well said. That's exactly <laughs> what she said, right? Yeah, that's exactly what she said. And a truer word has never been spoken. Yeah. You know, and, and I just looked up Tax Freedom Day because uh, you mentioned that, you know, Tax Freedom Day this year was May 22. So that means that Kiwis spent... 142 days paying tax. That's exactly what I said. Three or yeah. four months of your life. Yeah, till May 22. It's, tax. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's nearly, well, it's actually almost complete five months, not three or four. It's more like five. Yeah. I picked up the average there. Uh, yeah. Camp, but even if you think about that, so that's, that's even before you've seen your money because you never get to see it. It gets taxed even before it hits your bank account. <clears throat> and your employer's been asked to do that. Then you pay GST. Then you pay the inflation yep. tax, as I've explained. So everything's getting more expensive. Yep. No wonder the average Kiwi Australian or anyone around the world is just feeling the pinch and saying, when will this stop? I can tell you it can't stop. Because the government, as you just said, it has to take on more debt, which means it, it creates more money. And what I explained to Paul last week as well is just because you create an extra five or 10 billion in the economy, not all of us got richer. In fact, what people don't understand is if, if, if inflation's running at seven, eight, 10%, and you got a pay rise of 4%, post tax, you got, let's say, a pay rise of 2.5%, you're running backwards, mate. No wonder people can't afford and are digging into their savings. Well, this is the thing, like, Fuel excise taxes is a classic example, right? So the government realized they had a problem with um, 
with fuel excise taxes and and their rapacious, um, you know, ever increasing fuel taxes, where now f- um, fuel taxes make up more than fifty percent of the price of your petrol. Uh, they realised that the cost cost of living crisis, which they bizarrely blamed on Ukraine, you know, which which is an external thing that doesn't really affect us. We don't actually import anything much from Ukraine. We certainly don't get our oil from Ukraine or anything like that. So they use that as a blame blame hound for uh, a cost of living crisis. And then the only solution was to, oh, well, what we'll do is we'll reduce the fuel excise taxes temporarily. And then they extended that a few times. And then they've got to the point now where their spending is not under control and at the same time, they were giving away excise tax when they really needed it. So now they've taken it off last weekend, and the pr- petrol prices have gone back up 25 cents. But we're not getting anything more for that. No, right? They're still going backwards. I mean, a classic example is the health sector, right? We're going to do a reform on this. They've spent billions and billions of dollars with consultants merges, merging the health sector uh, to make everything better. And then on Tuesday, we hear that there's still 9,000 nurses short or, and doctors and health professionals short in the system. But the same day that that report came out, the government was saying, we've hired 8,000 more people. But that even if they've hired 8,000 more people, there's still 9,000 behind the eight ball. Yeah. <laughs> and so they've, this, this is where people don't understand where the inflation comes from. And it's things like that, wonky reforms, where they've, They've dropped a lazy couple of billion uh, on a reform that hasn't delivered any demonstrable improvements for for the money that's spent. Look, look at the one point nine billion dollars they they've spent. They've spent this; it's gone. One point nine billion dollars on mental health. And what 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 it's, have they reached? There's no, nothing to nowhere. show for it. Exactly, there's nothing to show for it. And this is the thing I think economists miss out a, a lot on is that if you're going to charge for something in private enterprise uh, and let's say it's let's say it's a a kitchen knife right a simple thing that everyone can understand a kitchen knife if you buy a five dollar knife well it's not going to stay sharp right it's it's just not (laughs) (laughs) if you buy a two hundred dollar knife it's going to last you for a lifetime Right. At least so you, you presume, yeah, yeah, yeah. You presume, right? Good quality chefs don't use five dollar knives from the warehouse, do they? No. They don't go and get their their chefs' knives from Briscoe's from the from the thirty percent offset. They just don't do that, right? Yeah. They go and buy quality, and that quality lasts. But what a government does is they buy rubbish, and then nothing lasts, and nothing sticks, and have spent all of that money in the economy whether it's through welfare or failed reforms or trying to build a bridge across the Auckland Harbour Bridge and spending $50 million on consultants, that money goes into the economy and it's frivolous and it's been spent and nothing of value is gained from that. Let me The, the perfect word you used out there, uh, Cam, I was just going to mention value, right? Mm. What is value? Value is a cost-benefit analysis. If the cost is more than the benefit derived, you don't get value out of it. Correct. And if the cost is smaller and the benefit uh, derived is higher, then there is positive value. As you just said, there's so many things you touched on there, mate. Is Firstly, what you got to understand is this is nothing new, as I mentioned last week, the no. cycles and stuff. So what happens is when it's coming coming to an end, 
end of an era, so to speak, or the end of a debt cycle, the government has to keep spending money. Otherwise, the GDP goes backwards. So if you think about this, as we just mentioned, they're talking about growth and GDP. If they weren't spending this much into the economy, and if things weren't that much more expensive, how would we get any growth? So without this inflation, we would actually be in a negative number, which means we're already in a recession moving towards a depression. The which second cre- thing which that, creates stagflation, which makes it even worse. Well, exactly. <laughs> so people are losing jobs and this and that. I won't go into names, but yep. I know a bank in Australia has laid off, uh, closed off an entire division because I still have mates there. I know a bank in New Zealand has closed off its retail division uh, and stuff like that. So, in fact, there was headlines um, I, I, I mentioned to people in New Zealand, go to a website called interest.co.nz. Maybe you can get some daily news or what's happening in the economy. I was reading up on there last week. Uh, the CEO, I can't remember her name, of DSB Bank has suddenly resigned. Mm-hmm. Um, this morning, there was an article on there. The CFO of ASB has decided to leave. Um, now, again, I'm not saying what is going on or what's not going on, but some people can see the signs. And there's a saying out there. Um, there's just a saying, so I'm not saying these people are that, but rats fleeing a ship, sinking ship. Um, well, they know. They, they know. Because we we're seeing this in the media, you know, we've got stuff has got this pull out thing in the in the paper version of of their stuff, which is really just touting for business for the B and Z and various other things, right? There's an agenda behind those pullouts, but but the articles are you know saying that we've got this mortgage bomb coming. Well, the CFO of ASB and and the CEO of TSB they know they know what's coming. And people are upside down. We've got interest.co.nz. You mentioned that them. They're saying the average value of Auckland dwellings sank by almost $40,000 last month, just last month. And yeah. nationally, the values are down 11% year on year. Now, if you've got a 90% mortgage on your property, you're now upside down on Already. that. Already, already, exactly. Already, exactly you are upside point, right? down on that. And guess what happens when you go upside down? The bank says, you know what? You need to contribute some more uh, to bring you back within the lending arrangements that we started with. Now, if you've got a million-dollar house, which isn't a very good house in Auckland now, to be fair, if you've got a million-dollar house and you've borrowed $900,000 and then the property market drops by 10%, or 11%, the bank is going to come to you and they say, well, you need to now contribute another $40,000. Otherwise, you're not going to, we're going to have to have a mortgage sale on you. Well, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's going to happen, Paul, is there's one of two things, right? Uh, Again, let me connect some of the dots for you. So it's going to go either one of two ways. As you mentioned that article, I'm just looking at it myself. I've just opened it again as well. Uh, It's dropping by $1,250 a day, right? last yeah. month when you said that 40,000. Now, yeah. obviously, as I said initially, was these were just magic digits on a on your computer app or something that showed you equity. So people felt rich. Now yeah. there's declining wealth, even psychologically. That was a psychological, I'm wealthy, I'm rich, so I can go and buy that BMW and then Mercedes and use my house as an ATM. And now it's gone the other way around. Now, can you imagine when that happens, people stop spending into the economy as well. They pull in their wallets, they go into supermarkets and they're going, do I need this? Do I need that? Instead of buying a $50 bottle of wine, they're now buying a $20 bottle of wine. They're looking for discounts. But just on the thing you mentioned, this is just New Zealand specific. Last week, there was an article in the UK where banks are seeing trouble. 
and what they made it sound like. And this is why I'm just letting people think about this because I told people they're doing different things in different parts of the world. In the UK, they said, oh, the housing minister or some, or the labor minister, I'm not sure, in the UK, or he had a chat with the banks and he said, please be lenient with UK customers. So what the banks have decided to do is make it interest only. Now, what happens is, as I mentioned, the interest rates are that high that if you've gone from three and a half percent, suddenly seven, seven and a half percent, your mortgage payments have doubled. So the banks go, these people really can't afford it. We can do one of two things. We either give them a banking holiday, and this was during the GFC as well, yeah. where you don't pay principal and interest, but you pay interest only. That's all you're doing, just to get through the other end, hoping all, somehow all you, magically. All you're doing is feeding the bank. Up. You're not getting well, that is hit. it. That is it. But come back to what I mentioned last week, is I actually explained to listeners that how does a bank fund this in the first place? So you bought a million dollar, you want to buy a million dollar house, you say I've got 20% deposit. So they give you a loan document for $800,000. You sign it, they put it on the asset side of the balance sheet, and they've given you an $800,000 loan, right? So their balance sheet balances. Now, as you just said, if in the last year, house prices have dropped 11%, let's just say 10%, in a year, what has happened is on their balance sheet, they've given you a loan of $800,000 and the property was worth a million. The property has already come back to about 900000 If this continues for another 12 or 18 months, what do you think happens? The bank's balance sheet goes wonky yep. and that's how banks go bust. Because even when you take a 30-year mortgage, you're initially for the first five or seven years, most of your repayment to the bank is technically 95 97% interest and only 3% principal. But they're struggling that much that they rather have clients just pay interest. Now, this comes out playing. I'm, I'm telling people now how this will play out. They will either make sound like the banks are the real good. They're going to help us. And the ministers are going to talk to the banks. And they're going to make it really easy by making it interest only for people who have bought houses in the last two or three years. Or they might say, let's extend. And I'm just letting people know this. They might say, oh, you only have 20 years to go. Let's extend it back to 30 years so we can make it easy for you. So you'll see articles out there saying, hey, if you're in trouble, please get in touch with your bank. So they can now, again, re-engineer that mortgage over 30 years, what you were supposed to pay over 20 years, to make it look like they're helping you to make your mortgage payments affordable. But that helps the bank's balance sheet. Now, I'm not going to go into, into any detail because... I hope people can connect the dots, what I've just said. And now instead of you having 20 years to pay off your mortgage, you're back on the debt treadmill for another 30 years. Yeah, I was I was taught an, a number of years ago by one of my mentors. You know, He said to me, you need to understand the meaning of words, Cam. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, okay, I'll give you a good one. People talk about a mortgage and they, yes. they, they think they're talking about a loan, but they're not. What they're talking about is the security for the loan. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, okay, so what's that? I mean, I love etymolo- entomology, right? Etymology, not entomology, that's bugs. Uh, etymology, the, the <laughs> where words come from, right? Yes. And and so I looked up mortgage and where that came from. It's a 14th century word, comes from French, old French, and it comes from mortgage, literally means dead pledge, mm-hmm. right? So you look at, at the word mort, where it comes from, the Latin for mortis, it means dead. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, so my mentor said to me, when you've got a mortgage, it's to the death. 
It is. Right? It is. Yeah. I think I mentioned this in week three because I'd mentioned this in one of my webinars as well. So you, you, you've already done the research on yeah, that. Yeah, it means yes, to it die, yes. literally to die. It's a pledge to die. Uh, and I explained this in my webinar. So people who haven't heard it, let me explain it. So what used to happen back in the 14th or 15th century, if you took a home loan, well, it wasn't banks, but let's say it was a private lender. Yeah. And the promise was that you as a man, because in those days, women weren't going yeah. out and working, they were at home. You had your entire life to pay that off. And obviously, don't forget, in those days, people never used to live through 60, 65, 70 they years to old. 40, 45, 50. So if you best. paid it within your lifetime, great. Your, pay, your family now got the house. But if you died, the house was handed in. That's how they took away your property. And that's where the word mortgage came from. That's right. And it's funny you even say these word analogies. So even this article you mentioned, right? The very first word in it says average value. Yeah. So when you think about an average, let's say there was 5,000 houses or 15,000 houses sold in New Zealand, it's the average. So some houses might have lost 20,000. But, but some might have lost 100. 100, 150, exactly, which bought yeah. a unit. So when they say an average value and a median value, you've got yeah. to understand this economic terms that they use very slyly. And people think, oh, it's not that bad. And Again, if you see most of the economists on all of these things that are being interviewed, they'll say, oh, we think the worst is behind us. Uh, the worst is behind us. They're always telling us that, right? Because well, you psychologically get so people. Everyone ready. needs hope, right? I, in politics, I call it hopium. hopium right? Yes. <laughs> right? You're addicted to hopium. And yeah. it's the same with mortgages. It's the same with property. And this is the thing, right? Let's say you bought a house a year ago for $2 million in Auckland. Yeah. If you said bang into that person in the street and say, and they said to you, how much is how much is your house worth? What does everybody say? Two million because that's two what million because that's what you yeah. paid for it, right? Yeah, yeah. And like again, my mentor, he he, he get people come to him for investment advice and say, oh, what should I do about this? And what should I, should I get into gold? Should I get? In? He says, well, what do you have you done your research? You need to do your research. You need to spend some time learning these things. So, oh, yeah, well, I've got my house, this, and he said, well, what's your house worth now? I don't know. He says, like, you, you're, not, you're not equipped emotionally or intelligently to invest in anything because you don't know what you're doing. If we put a sign outside everybody's house that changed in real time on the, what the value of their house was, on any at any given moment based on sales that have gone through in the neighborhood and averages and all, people would have kittens. They would absolutely uh, fill their trousers uh, watching their house values go down, you know, or up or down or whatever. They just wouldn't cope. And this is the same sort of people who are now going and playing with Bitcoin and playing with um, gold or silver or shares or whatever. They're not equipped either financially, emotionally, or intelligently to handle these frequent changes in investment strategies or whatever that are happening all the time. But they go and spend a million dollars or $2 million or $3 million on a house. And Keeping then up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. And, yeah. and that is why I also mentioned cycles, right? But for the last 40 years, and this is why what happens in these cycles, it plays out every second generation or third generation. There's a book out there if someone wants to read, and I've been asked for recommendations of books as well. It's called The Fourth Turning. And this happens every 80 or 100 years by Neil Howe and some other gentlemen. I would definitely recommend people reading it. 
there's 20 odd year cycles where how how an economy or how a generation works through certain things and we're in the fourth turning so we are going to see the absolute collapse of civic society as we speak or democracies in our world um, but even something as you mentioned this is the thing people have been trained uh, an average person is about 55 50 55 these are your investor ages and stuff like that yeah so when they were growing up they saw mom and dad bought a house for about 50,000, 100,000, and that house is now worth a million in Remuera or Takapuna or wherever that is. Yeah. So obviously their entire life, they've only seen this going up. But what I'm trying to explain to people is there's a 40-year interest rate cycle, which most people have seen turn, because I also explained it can go to zero. In Japan and Europe, it went into negative interest rates. They might try it one more time, but now the cat's out of the bag. Most people have seen, oh, it could shoot up from 0.25, which is where the reserve bank rate was right up to sevens, eights uh, on your mortgages quite quickly in a space of one, one and a half years. So well, next we've seen time that. We've, we've happened, seen that. We've seen exactly that. in the last year alone, right? We've, we've yeah. seen that. And if house prices have dropped by 11% in a year, how long can this continue? So people just need to stop and think. And as you mentioned something as well, <clears throat> I have people ask me about gold and silver and Bitcoin. Honestly, people need to do their research. But what I do is an asset allocation. I help people with asset allocation. Nothing, no one asset is going to make you win and get to the other side. But knowing which ones are their peak and you exit your positions from them. So if you only have 10 houses and you feel bloody damn rich, you ain't going to be on the other side of this. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. So it's about knowing which assets you hold to get through the storm. Yeah. So it's the asset allocation strategy and everyone's and again, strategy you, is going to be different based yeah, on their and, personal and, and, Yeah, and you need to do your research on that. Like at the moment, if you look at the price of gold or silver, for example, yeah. The if, if we used to have currency on the gold standard, right? Yes. So if you look if you look at the at, at a gold standard, how much gold there is in the world, and it's a known quantity. It's not an unknown quantity. It's not like money, right? We know how much gold there is in the world, and we know how much money is flowing around. If you divide the amount of money that's flowing around into the amount of gold that there is, you'll see that the value of gold should be a hundred times what it is now if we're on the gold standard. There should be, in other words, we don't have any more gold. There's no more gold that's being produced. There's a, a defined amount of gold. No, the gold does get produced. Uh, sure, sure it does. Yeah, but, from but mining the vast industry, ma- but yes. Sure, yes, but the vast majority of gold has been here since Roman millennia, times. 5,000 right? years, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It, it just changes who owns it. It just exactly. moves around, right? So. Exactly. So if you look at what the value of gold is, by by all rights, it should be a lot more than it is. Same with silver. But then, again, your learning thing comes into it. We, we live in New Zealand. We think in New Zealand dollars. But all of those things are traded in US dollars. So when you're researching gold or silver, you also have to research what the price is doing in US dollars and the relationship between the US dollar and the New Zealand dollar so you don't get caught out. And this is all suddenly getting far too complex for most people. 
And it is. And that's yeah. why most clients speak to me, right? What you got to understand, it's easier. If you look at the price of gold, not, not silver necessarily, because again, in my webinars, I explained silver. Yes, it used to be a monetary metal. Some people still call it a monetary metal. But yeah. most of it is because it's a real good semiconductor of heat and electricity. Yeah. It's mainly used in your solar panels and industrials yeah. and your laptops and your phones yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if you think the green revolution is going to happen and they're talking about climate change and all Buy that. Buy copper. Rubbish, yeah, then copper and silver are the ones that go up. But gold is a monetary metal. Let me just just fill it, just, just round your discussion off so people mm. get the blanks that were left out. Yeah. Um, there's something called a stock-to-flow ratio, which I did mention on my first one, but I won't go deep into it. But the reason gold used to be money for 5,000 years, it's its stock-to-flow ratio. As you just said, governments can create fiat currency out of thin air. Uh, silver also can be mined and silver has a lot more, but it gets used. So silver is more rare than gold because silver gets used in these industrial applications. Yep. Gold being a monetary metal has has not much uses other than they coat the helmets of people who travel on spaceships to moons and all of that and jewelry, yep. as I mentioned. Most of it is held in central bank walls. And I think in week two, we also mentioned why the Reserve Banks, even the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, took the gold away from the banks and issued Reserve Bank notes. The same thing happened with the Federal Reserve. Yep. And in America, people had guns. So they released an, a presidential executive order and they said, oh, everyone's going to hand in their gold or else you go to jail, jail or there was a fine. Mm. Now, the patriotic American back, back at that time thought, oh, hey, it's my government. It needs the gold. They bought it off people at $20.67, which was the going rate. And yep. within a month, they repriced it at 35 So they literally might have given you $20 and they devalued even that $20 by devaluing that currency immediately. So people just need to understand the governments will do this again and again and again. Well, they've been Nothing, doing it since Roman times. I mean, yeah, that's, since what, Roman the, times, that's exactly. what the Romans used to do. The, the gold content and the silver content of their, of their you know, coins would be altered according to how much money they actually needed. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. again, people need to understand that gold is not the magic bullet on the other side. Again, as I said, it's asset allocation, knowing how much of your asset bucket needs to be that gold. Uh, there's other risks around it because governments have confiscated it in the past. So the smart person who's actually got some needs to understand maybe I don't hold it at home. Yeah. Um, I don't need to hold it maybe in a New Zealand vault. Uh, there's Americans who hold it in different jurisdictions like Singapore and Cayman Islands and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's so the my thing about holding gold. Like a lot of people uh, like to hold gold and silver uh, for a rainy day or whatever. But again, my mentor always says to people, "Well, you need to have you need to have a, a mixture of bars and coins." And people say to him, "Well, why is that?" And he said, "Well, okay, if I, if there's a gold coin, a one ounce gold coin." Well, that's worth quite a lot of money. And so if you if things go to hell and fiat currency becomes hard to get hold of and you're starting to have to use silver and gold to transact things, transacting things with a gold coin is very difficult because you can't get change. Yeah. Whereas a gold coin is $40, uh, a silver coin is $40. So even if it's like, um, you know, uh, a couple of steaks and a bottle of wine at the supermarket, you pay with a, with a silver coin, you might not get any change out of it, but you've only lost $40. Yeah, now you don't got to think uh, you're making it sound a little 
<laughs> little little easy cam but you've got to do a deep down this is what i think i you don't do. want people listening to the radio and listening to this and assuming because first of all they won't let you use silver coins at super no they won't because they can't then, handle it but yeah but what by what i'm saying Barter is that is when it, it comes in the value it, i absolutely understand exactly it comes in at that level and you know and there are other things that you can that you can use when it comes to bartering right so i'm in the firearms community um our currency is is ammunition right okay. so so you know there'll be times where i've done a a sale of a rifle or whatever and i haven't taken cash for that right i've sold the rifle and somebody said well i'll tell you what i'll give you 10,000 rounds of this ammunition and i'm thinking to myself okay yeah i could do with that and so i take the 10,000 rounds of ammunition and then i might use 2,000 rounds of that ammunition to go and buy something else because we're bartering yeah, exactly. I, because I they're things of values yeah. and they're, they're commodities of value that people in in a particular community need. Now, I know that because I'm in the firearms community, but there'll be other things uh, out there that people can use to barter as well. Yes, and I have some, um, as I said, I have some clients who reach out and they're trying to do everything, right? They're trying to have their own maybe sheep and they're trying to have their mm. own uh, seeds and they're trying to have this. The whole point is there's no point you doing everything. No. Barter is what it's going to come down to. So if you're going to do sheep, just do sheep because the next guy is going to have the cattle and yeah. somebody else is going to grow the vegetables and that's where barter comes in. So I might swap eggs for maybe a couple of steaks or something. Yeah. The silver will come in handy exactly in this place. So if you have nothing to contribute, you might be able to use a silver coin to mm. go and buy some food from the local farmer because when it comes, when push comes to shove, the farmer will understand it. But last on my webinars also I'd explain to people I was doing this almost a year and a half two years back mm. when I'd go off to Kumu farmers markets and I'd ask them I'd give them cash and then I'd say what else do you take and they'd pull out this little mobile uh, FPOS machine thing and I'm like what else will you take and they don't get it so some farmers won't get it so establish yeah. those relationships before the fact but also something which you said $40 right I want people to also think this through everything whether it's gold or silver is measured all commodities are measured yep. in US dollars because yep. it's the reserve currency What's happened in the last two or three years is people are looking at the price of gold. Gold has been going up in every other currency than the US dollar. So every dollar, every currency is collapsing simultaneously. It's just that the US dollar, because it's a global reserve currency, collapses slower. And in macroeconomic terms, they call it the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry. That yep. is the word that they use for the US dollar because everyone still needs US dollars to settle their balance of payments. So Gold and silver, silver not so much, but gold more so, is being a storage of value for the last 5,000 years. Most reserve banks, why do they hold gold? There's articles last year and this year where uh, banks of Kazakhstan and Ireland and all these central banks are starting to accumulate gold. The Central Bank of India has started accumulating a lot of silver. Uh, we saw another thing to think about is when Russia's foreign exchange reserves were blocked during this whole um, COVID war, uh, sorry, the, the, the proxy Ukrainian war with war, yeah. Ukrainian war, what did they, they lost the US dollars, but they still have gold. Countries like China and Russia have the biggest global reserves of gold in the ground. So does Canada, right? So does yep. Australia also. I'd last so do we. We've got a good reserve of gold in the ground, but we're not allowed to take it out. It's ridiculous. No, you're not. Yeah, and, and, and Australia and New Zealand have no gold on their reserve bank balance sheets. Can you no. imagine that? So let's say if the plan of the globalists, which we know is the global reset or the great reset, and there's a term being thrown around out there called the great reject, because people are trying to are starting to see 
what's the plan with this UBI and central bank digital currency? And more and more people are waking up. Let's say the globalist plan doesn't work. What happens then? You <laughs> have no gold, you have no silver. Countries will have to come together and then back their currency by gold. Let me be honest. There's some people who say, oh, the BRICS, because I don't know if you know in the news, but in August, the BRICS countries are getting together and they said, we're going to launch a new BRICS plus currency, right? Yeah. So well, people, there, there, there's macroeconomists around the world are saying, oh, look, in August, they're going to back their currency by gold. No, 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 no. It doesn't happen that way because most countries, no government wants to lose the ability of creating money out of thin air. So no, they're not going to back it with gold. And this is where I need people to stop thinking that gold is the absolute savior. It is not going to shoot to the moon overnight. And as you mentioned there, Yes, gold is a storage of value of your wealth. And that's why I said deciding what amount of or percentage of assets to hold and what thing that survives the other end. So financial assets would collapse. So if you have derivatives and this and that and all this fancy stuff, forget that because that's, again, just paper. There's no value. There's, the there's no, there's no, no value inherent value in it. It's paper. Exactly. And, but, but what we're seeing here, and this is what these articles are showing, and I guess the overarching summary of what you've been saying to me now is that what we're seeing now is the end days of the neoliberal uh, economic boom that was started in the late 80s coming to its natural 30 to 40 year conclusion over the next five to 10 years. Is that yes. a fair assessment? Yes, yes. So just putting it in simpler terms, let's be honest, people in the East, so we will have a split. Uh, between the so globalization is kind of coming to its end. Um, the the globalists want to take us to a one world government and a one world currency that is splitting, and that is also contributing to inflation because shipping is more expensive, everything's getting more expensive. It's not just the dollars losing value; there's also a shortage of goods. Um, but we will split into an Eastern bloc and a Western bloc. Yeah. And Western countries, democracies, the, the USA's, the Canada's, all of the Europe's and Australia's and New Zealand's where people wanted to migrate in the past because we had such amazing infrastructure and all of that because we took on more and more and more debt and we were seen as the Western democracies, whereas the countries in the Eastern side were more frugal because they weren't just taxing their citizens and taking on more debt. So what would happen over the next eight or 10 years if your access, or let's say the New Zealand or Australian government access to the global bond markets is cut off, where will we spend on the infrastructure? How will the New Zealand government just hand out money to uh, people? And how will we just waste money on consultants to tell us whether we should have a Harbour Bridge Lane or not? And I'll just come back to this little bit you mentioned at the start as well. You talked about this 5 billion. At the end of an era, when they know the system is collapsing, the system system gets inherently corrupt. So the insiders are the ones who paid off to actually take the spoils. That is why you see all these consultants, or should we have a lane or should we not have a lane? Then they spend another few million on should we have a lane or should we have a tram network to the airport or not? You'd be better off spending the money on if you're going to do it, just get on with it and get it done. So there's uh, infrastructure spending going on in the economy and it creates jobs, right? But at the end of an era, the inside cronies or the people in the government already know the system is collapsing. So they get consultants on board to do all these things and then they pay them and this and that. Another two or three years later, they're still going, should we or shouldn't we? The system's about to collapse and they're the ones who got richer 
and yep. the average person got poorer. So think about the bigger picture. This happens during Roman times as well, mate. So the inside guys are eating the spoils, and that is when the average person starts revolting and going, the system is working against me. And we're yep. seeing what's happening in France right now. Obviously, it was for different reasons, but the French have always revolted. There's riots in the street. They're burning down buildings. I'm not saying something one, like that's going to happen. It's one thing in- I've always admired about the French is when they get sick of their governments, they riot. Absolutely. Well, well, that is democracy. That is democracy. But in today's world, we have a cancel culture where we're not even allowed to speak our mind, where nothing we're saying is wrong. Like even when I talk about fiat currency, some people go, oh, but you've said this. I'm like, everyone knows about it. We've been living in a fiat currency world for 100 years. So I've not said a state secret. It is just the way the monetary system works. Yep, I'm not exactly. saying it is not a conspiracy theory because the world has been functioning on the same system for 100 years. I've just told the RCR listeners exactly how it works. Now they can well, think for themselves. What people forget is that there are immutable rules of economics. And it doesn't matter whether you're a communist, a socialist, a capitalist, something in between. It doesn't matter. It, economics ignores your political uh, viewpoint. And this is what the thing that, you know, it took... It took a number of years. It took, what, 70 years for the communist system to collapse in Russia. But collapse it did because it was unsustainable, because the rules of economics don't care what you call it. Call your political system. They don't care that you're communist or socialist or capitalist. If you break those rules of economics, it all comes collapsing down. And the Romans found that out. The Greeks found that out. The Persian Persian, um, Empire collapsed because of that. You know, all of these large in- empires all collapse in on themselves because they can't keep sustaining themselves on these wonky thinking uh, that the, if they just conquer another country or if they just take over that mine or if they just enslave that per- that that population, they can keep the whole thing going. Eventually, it comes to an end, and, and I think that's what we're seeing now. And while at the end of what we're seeing is the end of globalism, thankfully. You know, and I used to think that if we all traded with each other and we we're all nice and it was all cool, this was going to be great. But it's not great. It, well, it, was, at- it was in the post-industrial era. They made it sound like it was great because what did they do if you think about it, Cam? So why is the American like- or the New Zealand standard of living so high? Is because we shipped off, like America shipped off all its manufacturing jobs. I had a client, uh, I had a person who's a listener of RCR comment back and say, does this mean our industries come back to New Zealand and why we stopped producing? Even we used to produce such good food and this and that and all that kind of stuff. And now we're just importing stuff. So what we got to understand is this reverses. It's not going to be easy though. On the other end, no. it's going to be brilliant. But for the next eight or 10 years, and I'm, I am telling people it is eight or 10 years because we get through this at the other end on 2030, 2032 is how this plays out over the next eight, nine, 10 years. So better be prepared for what's coming because your standard of living is going to drop tremendously. And something you said, right? When global yeah. supply chains break down, which we saw during COVID. We're seeing that, yeah. You saw second-hand cars were selling for a little more than brand new cars sometimes because the parts aren't available or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. So you might be the richest person, but if you can't have, if, if the item doesn't exist you're not going to get it so no. get it now while you can 
uh, if you think you definitely need it to survive, don't think that uh, she'll be right. It's just going to all, I'm not scaring people. It's not going to happen overnight, but you'll start seeing the signs. You'll go to a supermarket like they used to do. People were fighting over toilet rolls. Can you believe that? Now yeah. imagine what happens when there's not food on the shelves. And we saw that last day in the UK as well, where shelves were empty in Australia and in America. I'm just telling people, think through this process. It doesn't matter how many dollars you have in a bank account. It ain't going to buy you much um, at a certain time. And you have to pay attention to the signs that are in the economy. So I'm lucky. I've got a couple of mates that are involved in the car industry. Yeah. And they've been telling me for months, literally months, that the economy is dead. And it's dead because they can't sell cars. And what they're seeing is the natural turnover that occurs, particularly in corporates of leased vehicles rolling them over every three years or so isn't happening. What's happening is that the people who are running those you know, leasing companies are ringing their clients up to say, well, you're coming up to three years for these 10 cars. Uh, you know, We can put you into a new car. And the business owners who are actually feeling the economy, you know, fr- hurting them personally are sitting there going, mm-hmm. now I'll tell you what we'll do is we'll roll those. Instead of keeping the cars for three years, we're going to keep them for five now. Yeah. And they roll that over and postpone that capital investment that they're doing in, in cars because they know that the economy is going flat. They know that their revenues are down. They know that there's less customers in their stores. And so they're making these buying signals uh, or not buying signals, as the case may be, uh, into the economy. And so when you look at, at organizations like car dealers and things like that, they're the ones who tell you what is going on in the economy long before the politicians will admit to what's going on in the in the economy. Yeah, the if you don't pay yeah. attention, right? If you only get your your news from you know TV one or TV three or the Herald or stuff, then then you're ignorant. And and that's not an insult to you. It's just that that's what you've chosen to be. You've chosen to be ignorant because you've only followed those and you think they're telling you the truth, but they're not. And, and you take that stuff article that we've been talking about today and that big pullout that they had in the paper, that's bought and paid for by advertisers. That means that the, the content that they're giving you is tailored to provide a message for their advertisers. In this case, the largest advertiser is the BNZ. That's why all the articles are surrounded by BNZ ads. That's why all the articles talked about BNZ spokespeople that are in them. You need to be aware. I mean, I'm sure you agree with me on this. You need to be aware about who's telling you these things and why they're telling you these things. Exactly. A conflict of interest. I I don't know about the stuff in the BNZ, but the same thing, as I said, when clients reach out to me and they say financial planners, can we just come and speak to you? Because if I go to the bank's financial planner, they're just going to sell me the bank stuff. And that is exactly right, because you don't buy it the hand that feeds you. And unfortunately, they have only given you 10 products to sell based on the client's risk profile. So that's all you can do. And and unfortunately, that's the world we're living in. But there was another stuff article that I read yesterday. Um, they were talking about these mortgage payments and the mortgage bomb, which you said, right? They called it, it was about 25%. Mm. And what they're trying to highlight in there is the RBNZ's own numbers said about 50.4% of mortgages we're refixing in the next 12 months. So what you were talking about, the cars, let's take that to the house thing. Yep. What people are doing is because their mortgages have 
were at two, three, four percent fixed for two years, starting in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, coming through to twenty. And now it's eight. Suddenly, I, I wrote this number down. So what they were saying is, if you had a half a million dollar loan, your mortgage payments will go up by fifteen thousand six hundred a year. That's more than about twelve hundred bucks a month. Now, who is earning twelve hundred bucks a month more in their Nobody. paycheck? Right. That is exactly why they're going backwards. Nobody. But worse so do than, you think they saw this that, coming? But worse than that, they've used their property to buy themselves doodads in a lifestyle. So they've got their jet ski, their wife's got the horse float, the horses, you've got the kids with their mountain bike. It's all been paid for by the, by the loan, supported by the mortgage, which you're paying till you die. Exactly. And, and these then people, yeah. it's protected by the value of the house, and that's fine when for the last – 30 years, house prices have gone up, but now they're going backwards faster than they were going up. Yeah, and Your it's not just going to be house prices, uh, yeah. Cam. There's, uh, you said the thing about the car as well. Yeah. Uh, to explain something about a lease, right? So, so the reason they put you on a, when they put you on a three year lease, and I've had, when I'm working in the banking finance industry, I've had company cars in the past. So yep. obviously that company car is given to you as a part of your salary package. Yep. Now, when that comes over three years, let's say, for example, just like a mortgage, if the business decided to jump into a newer car, not only is the car more expensive because of inflation, yep. the interest rates are much higher. So the business owner goes, if I just continue this, based on the contract, I just have to keep making the same payment over the next two years. Hey, my staff will just have to live with a car. At least I'm giving him a car, Yeah. right? Instead of taking a new car, which is more expensive, and plus the interest rates are much higher. So the banks and finance companies also suffer. And just to give you an example, this is what I'm saying in that article. It talks about a recession. A recession quickly could snowball into a real massive depression unless the government spends. And as you said, why is the government spending? Because if I, as a consumer, know I don't have enough savings and I'm living off my savings or some people are living off their credit cards, there's only so much stuff I can spend on. So I cut back spending and the next person cuts back spending. Another thing that links into this, the petrol prices, the subsidy has gone off. The, that is the biggest inflation input in the economy because anything- it's massive. Because if your groceries are being driven on trucks to supermarkets, yep. everything needs petrol or diesel. And that's just gone up by 25 cents a litre. That is so, the biggest input, yes, exactly. So that's a so, massive input. But on top of that, at the same time as that's happened, your disposable income has now dropped because you have to pay for that gas in your car. You, yeah. you, you have to, you know, so, so, and you can't recover that. If you're a salary and wage earner, you can't recover that drop that's now just happened that the government has forced on you because they need the re the excise revenue. They need it more than than you know a, a, a drug addict needs crack cocaine. But that's the problem with taxes is the governments get addicted to them, and and they need that and they're desperate for it. And so when they give you, they say, "Oh, we're helping you out for your cost of living." Well, how's that? The cost of living is still the same problem. It, that it was six months ago, but now they're giving you a caning because they need to have their taxes back. It's, so they it's can the then taxes. Yeah, Cam, you're right. It's the taxes. But I also want people to understand if they don't increase taxes. So you've got to understand in the first couple of weeks I mentioned the government's just like a big family, right? You have incomings, outgoings, yep. and you have a credit score. Yep. The New Zealand or the Australian government also has a credit score. That's why you see sometimes 
um, well, during the global financial crisis, after that, when the US had a debt ceiling problem, uh, they were downgraded by, I think, S&P. So a country also gets downgraded. So if you're AAA rating- And then your interest a, rates go up, which then fuels your inflation yes. again, and it becomes an endless it's cycle of pain. Exactly, snowballing, and and I'll just I'll just tease this a little bit because uh, maybe uh, uh, Paul and I can talk this next week. But the whole yeah. point is, it's not just the credit rating. Um, the go- the Reserve Bank is increasing the interest rate because if it doesn't, the New Zealand dollar itself will suffer more, which means you're importing more inflation into the economy. Now, this is a slightly deeper macroeconomic thing, but the Reserve Bank is telling you it's increasing interest rates to fight inflation when it knows it's making your mortgage payments more expensive, your car payments more expensive, your credit card more expensive. But how is it fighting inflation? No, no, I told you at the start in the first or the second call, that's a lie because they assume that everyone's just taking on more debt. So they're making debt more expensive. But yep. most people already have debt, so they have to service it. The real reason why they're increasing interest rates, if they don't, the New Zealand dollar will drop like a brick. And, and then, it's already and then it gets even more perilous. And it gets more expensive. So this yeah. is another snowball. So people need to understand these global, global macroeconomic links. And yeah, so again, if he, if he left it at 2 or 3%, can you imagine where our New Zealand dollar would be, mate? And then importing these cars, yeah. instead of a car being 40,000, would now suddenly be 60,000, and your apples would be, uh, mate, everything just snowballs out of effect. So they're not increasing interest rates to fight inflation. Yes, in a way, a little bit, because if they assume inflation is only because people are flipping houses, as I said, but no one's really taking on debt in today's market because they know they can't service it. In fact, the smart person is sitting out. If if you, we just agreed that a house price has dropped 11% in a year. If I want to buy a house, am I buying it now? No. If I'm cashed up, I'm sitting on the sidelines and going, I'm just going to rub my hands and say, I'll, I'll come back to you in a year or two years, mate. Let, let, let's see how this game plays yeah, out. If, if you're, it, what, what's happening now is people who have, who are cashed up, have uh, have got assets, have got decent cash flow. They're sitting there watching what's going on, thinking, "I'm going to be getting back into the property market in another six months." And uh, unfortunately, um, it's just the way of the world: is some people's misery is other people's gains. And unfortunately, we're going to see we're going to see what happened in the '80s on farms in cities where people are losing their houses, and they'll be in tears on the TV, and it'll be that's what we're going to see. And people will, will listen to us and they'll say, oh, no, come on, Cam, come on, Faz, and you're not, that's not right. That's not what's going to happen. But you watch. It is It is what's going to happen. You're going to see people dispossessed, um, you know, totally upside down uh, in their property and everything else. Their lifestyle's dramatically affected, all because, in reality, in New Zealand, a country of our size, inflation can almost assuredly be sheeted home to the spending priorities of the government. Well, that's it, mate. Um, I think we leave for next week, but the simple Definitely. thing is yes. People have no idea how this will play out. And there's, it, as I said, you can't predict, I mean, I can't predict, but I know two or three ways it would either up or downwards play this out. And most of my clients know what to look for and stuff like that. And those are the conversations they have with me. But the simple thing is, as we said, this is exactly the plan. It Not exactly like the 80s, but remember last time, 80s, there were certain countries who suffered and this and that. This time, most countries aren't too much debt. The global debt is so high. I'll leave it at this. You will own nothing 
and you'll be happy. That's what the world <laughs> has told you, right? Exactly. So, Farzan, how can people get hold of you? Um, most people can just reach out through my website. Uh, I've kept my website simple. It's uh, successsimplified.life. At the bottom, there's get in touch uh, uh, link. So just click on that, send me an email. I'll also tell people don't write too much of your personal information in the email. Yeah. Uh, just tell me your basic stuff and then I'll get in touch with you. Uh, That's again, fantastic. as I mentioned to Paul as well, uh, I can't help everyone, but based on circumstances, uh, I kind of look after each client base uh, and I give them actionable intelligence and then they can do what they want with it. So thanks. Well, for that's that. fantastic. And I tell you what, Fazan, um, I've enjoyed this discussion with you filling in for Paul, but for RCR listeners that are out there, uh, there's some good news. Uh, I'll be starting a show uh, starting next week and uh, hopefully I'll be able to have you as a guest on my show, Fazan, back then when we get going. Yeah, sure, mate. It will be a pleasure. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Committed to fair debate and honest information, the Reality Check has arrived. RCR, Reality Check Radio.